0: Hello, my name is Cynthia, and welcome to the latest episode of Getting Your Together, a podcast where we discuss what it's like to get it all the way together, or at least attempt to one day at a time. Hey everyone, this is Cynthia. Today I am joined by the lovely Jocelyn Harvey, and we're going to talk all things sobriety mental health but we're also going to discuss her book recovering the home and she also has a special little nugget to just give away at the end of this episode so stay stay tuned for that so
1: hi jocelyn hi thank you for having me on
0: thank you for joining i always love to hear from people um, especially women of color in this space so thank you for being open and willing to share your story of course. so before we jump in, I like to always pass it over to uh, my guest and for, for you to give like a little intro to who you are and what you're about.
1: Great. So a little bit of an intro of myself, my big thing online with my account sharing my sobriety, which used to be called Seltzer certain sobriety, is really talking about my recovery journey. I got sober back in January of 2016 after just a really messy (laughs) drinking career and um, daily drinking career for several years. I got sober kind of young, right before my 25th birthday. And I'm a writer, always been a writer, went to school for writing. So pretty immediately I wanted to talk about my recovery and be open about it because I was so open and flagrant about my drinking. And it just really took off from there. And on my bio, really, I say it's all about sharing and vulnerability. So I really go into the ish that I'm experiencing. like I've talked about depression in sobriety, I talked about suicidal thoughts, some health concerns this year, you know, the positives as well, but just like being able to like really go deep into the things that people might not want to talk about because they feel like, oh, I'm sober, like everything should be positive and everything should be going well. Um, But, you know, we all still have our our struggles in it and being able to talk about that, especially in the online space, which is I I come from a 12 step background. So I'm more familiar with, you know, talking about what they would call more like trudging the road (laughs) of happy destiny. So that's really what I do online a lot is just share about what's going on with my life.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I didn't know that you got sober at such a young age, which I think is awesome and very commendable because I know um, I'm in my 30s. So and I got sober this year. So I'm a baby when it comes to sobriety and recovery. January 1st too. So I mean, I got sober in January. I don't know. Did you, did you get sober January 1st or just in January? I got sober on the 10th. Oh, wow. Oh yes. So um, (laughs) awesome. And so that's, amazing. But I really would love just for you to talk about what it was like prior to you getting sober at such a young age. I know you said you're a writer. I'm a writer too. So that's awesome. And did you write a lot about your your addiction? Was it public? Or was it something that you really started to hone in on after you started? You decided to become sober?
1: Yeah. So I didn't actually for a long time see anything really being wrong with my drinking. Like I knew it was off... And I knew it wasn't exactly like correct, but I didn't think, I just thought that I would like, cause I got, I, I definitely had like a physical dependence on it, mm-hmm. but I was very, you know, there's a dangerous um, beauty of being like in your twenties, especially like in this very social media day and age where like, as long as you're taking artsy photos of what you're drinking yeah. and kind of spinning your nights, you can really get away with behaviors that you know, for other people to be like, what the hell are you doing? So I didn't actually really like talk about it because it just, it just wasn't even something I was thinking of. I wasn't really like that ashamed of it. I was definitely dealing with a lot of other stuff, especially when I was like bottoming out in my addiction, but it wasn't really until I got sober and it was like right away. I think it was like at the two week mark, I wrote this like long blog post actually (laughs) telling people like that I had gotten sober and really what I was going through. So I really hit the ground running on sharing about that. And honestly, a lot of people like they knew, they're like, Oh yeah, you did really drink a lot. But no one really like, unless they really, really thought about it was like, yeah, like you definitely had a drinking problem because I didn't quote, look like someone with a drinking problem, which like, who is that? But we have that. (laughs) That's the side of
0: you. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's so interesting. And I've actually had similar too with my friends. They didn't really say anything until I said something about it. I had actually, you know, my best, one of my best friends, and she and I are so cutthroat with each other. She was the only one that mentioned anything. But everyone else, you know, because it's like they're doing the same thing. So they're like, well, whatevs, you know, live life, do you, you know. And I do feel like social media kind of allows a lot of that. So you don't really think about it so much because it's just a thing to do. So what moment are, I know, I know when it comes to a lot of, when it comes to addictions, there's like a series of moments, but usually there's something that when you think back about it, you're like, that was like the key moment in my life where I'm like, this is it. Like this, is, I have to change. And from what I've been hearing from different people, sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's just a small thing, but, or I, I don't even like to say big or small because it really matters to you as the person. Cause you're just like, I can't go on that way anymore. Um, what was that key like driver indicator for you?
1: Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean between like big or small. It wasn't like I got a DUI and then the next day was like, I need to get it together. Mine was actually, it was very quiet. And I was just thinking as you were talking, like anything really big that's happened in the, my life, I don't feel like whether it's like the universe, my higher power, like that it like yelled at me, it's like always a whisper. And it was a whisper. You know, I had like woken up one morning after just like a normal night out at the bar. Like it wasn't like, crazy and it wasn't horrible, but it was just like more and more of the same. And at that time, I was really just like really depressed, contemplating suicide. I was starting to develop the shakes. I wasn't really eating much Yeah, I was like trying to keep this like image together. And I just woke up one morning to like another one of those just royal hangovers that I knew was going to last until like six in the evening. And I just rolled over in bed and just started crying because I just knew at that point, like, I can't keep doing this anymore if I want to live. And a few weeks before, I was, you know, saying to myself, like, okay, I'm physically dependent. I'll just kind of keep going. I'll really make myself a functioning alcoholic. Like, I was starting to go to the gym drunk. I was definitely starting to drive a little more. I wouldn't say, like, drunk, but definitely very tipsy. So I I never thought, like, I have a problem. I should stop. It was like, oh, I'll just, like, find a way to make this work. And just that morning was just... I just, I don't know, like I got that pause that was like, I really can't do this anymore if I want to, you know, see another year. And I stopped. <laughs> I, I i really did. I mean, and then I had to do all the recovery work, but it was kind of, you know, in a sense miraculous going from someone who was very much a daily drinker starting to be almost like an around the clock drinker to being like, nope.
0: And how did that impact the type of life that you had then? I mean, you, it, was it a cold turkey thing? Was this something that you did gradually? did you immediately go into 12 step programs or is this something you're trying to figure out yourself and see how you were feeling? Like, because it sounds like you, when you had that moment, you just kind of went from like a light, a light switch went off and you're just like, I just have to change. So how drastic was the change at first for you?
1: It was really drastic. I went cold Turkey, you know, which I always say I wasn't drinking for that I mean, I was I was daily drinking for probably like three years, so I guess it's still a long time. Always got to put out the disclaimer, though. Like, alcohol is the one thing that you can actually die from when you detox. It's really intense. So, if you're listening and you're someone that has really been daily drinking heavily for a very long time, like it might be something where you want some medical intervention on. I I didn't have like tremors or or anything, but yeah, I just like I went cold turkey, and I I remember the it. I really just got yanked out. I got the pink cloud. Yeah, I went from being this like really depressed, like sack of shit. Like (laughs) day three in, I remember like getting in my car and just screaming in happiness on my way to work because I went from having like such little energy to like this jolt of energy. Like even though I was like had all the insomnia, and you know, the second day after I stopped drinking felt like the worst hangover of my life. Like I still felt you know so much better in terms of getting into. 12 step programs is, I have an interesting situation, <laughs> family situation, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, my mom, she actually has been sober for like th- over three decades. Wow. Yeah. And, um, so of course, like I I knew that she went to AA and, um, that it was a part of her life. And some years we would go watch her, like get her medallion. So it wasn't this like, you know, scary thing or foreign thing. I had a bit of resistance because I had some mom stuff going on at the time and was like, oh, well that, if that's what you get after 30 years of, you know, 12 steps, then like I can do better. (laughs) Um, and I had talked to one of my friends at work, was um, a sober guy and he was like you know I really think you should go just you'll, you'll get the connection he's like I can go to a meeting with you or I can like hook you up with one of my like female friends to take you to a meeting she's cool she's rad you'll love her. Don't worry about the God stuff. (laughs) And just kind of like pushed me off on this person. And I started going to meetings and I did like only like two or three. I liked them. It was fine. But I just, I guess I tried to do it on my own. And around March, so like three-ish months, I had like my largest craving that I'd ever had in my life. I didn't drink, but I like didn't know what to do. And at that time, the pink cloud was really starting to wear off and all the depression I had had really flipped into all this anxiety that I never realized I had my entire life. And fortunately, I had just gotten enough numbers. And um, a woman my age called me and was like, hey, do you want to meet up for coffee? And I was like, cool. And she's like, okay, great. And afterward, we can go to a meeting. I was like, ah, oh, she got me. Um, and she had like a month more than I – exactly a month more than I did. Um, and she brought me to the meeting that would become my home group. And yeah, and it's, you know, it's been – you know, no, I wouldn't say rocky. You know, there are other things that I do along with like the 12 steps. I've had my moments where I've wanted to dig in, but I've always been like extremely fortunate to like stay close to the program and have sponsors that like really helped me like make it fit into my life because like that's how they were able to do it with themselves. So it's definitely like one of my foundational things, but there's other things that I do to supplement my recovery and, and help me feel really like whole and balanced.
0: Cool. And then, I guess my question is like, I totally, because I, mine was kind of like a gradual and then January 1st, I was like, I'm just going to be very cliche and stop. Uh, <laughs> but, but similar to you, like, I really had, I found like the gym, I found like all this stuff. I didn't go to, into 12-step and, uh, AA right away, which I found that isn't the norm usually, but um, just not the norm, I guess, in the groups that I've been going to while I've been in Brooklyn. But the pink cloud is a legit thing. Like I did not realize that that was just something that you go through. I was just thinking like, oh, well, this is just life and life is great now. Similar to you, like I had like three-ish months, three-ish months or so, and it like, it bottomed out in in a different way. And I felt like I was going to lose control. And I think I don't know if you identify, but it's something that was kind of just jarring. Like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was losing my mind. Nothing made sense. When you really do realize, like, I guess real life happens. I don't know what comes. Like, how did you, like, remedy remedy that or get through that? Because I feel like it's just something new because you can't really run, or you could have run back to, you know, your old crutch and everything like that, but you chose not to. So what was it about that moment that when you said like you know I'm going through this I it's not making sense to me but I'm not going to go back to what I used to know like what kept you what kept you sober around that time
1: Yeah so on that, at least that very day, the, the craving. Um, what kept me from drinking was cleaning. <laughs> I was like, i oh, will just continue to clean my house." I was, I was totally that person who spent a lot of my first year in recovery cleaning and organizing. I know we'll get to the book later. Shameless mini plug, but yeah, that's kind of what I used to do with my nervous energy. But I, I the meeting I went to after that, like craving, and I actually got a sponsor. I was pushed to get a sponsor, literally at that meeting, and I heard the whole concept of one day at a time, which I had just never ever, ever heard before, especially in, I'm you know, in a corporate office, you don't live one day at a time. It's like, what are your three month plans, your six month plans? Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Can you forecast that for me? And I was getting really anxious because I was either someone who was like living in the past or projecting so far into the future because my present at that time was like pretty crappy. Like, no wonder, like, do you really want to live in your present when that's what's going on? So um, just like having a sponsor be able to be like call me every day. We'll get to know each other. Like, don't think too far into the future. Don't make any big changes the first year. That really helped ground me. And I, I started being extremely honest with my bosses at work. Actually, my boss might have been one of the first people I told. Wow. And just because I, I did, a I was good at my job the days I was like, you know, in at work and not hungover, but like <laughs> I, I knew how to do my job, I'm a very competent employee, but it was not the right job for me to be in. And I had extreme anxiety. So like just being honest with that about someone, you know, helped like get through and we started goals and then you know I actually stayed in that job a few years after I got sober and I kind of hit another bottom where I was like I literally cannot do this like stuff started coming back again in depression and I was like no 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 and I had to accept that that type of role just wasn't the right one for me and wasn't going to be healthy or safe for me but being really honest was what kept like everything you know everything together I really coddled my sobriety that first year
0: that's so interesting. I almost feel like are we the same person? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's like it's probably one of the one like wonderful things about AA is like we have different our lives are different but we have similarities there because I'm the same thing I'm struggling actually with my whole um career path because I this is what I've been doing for so many years and now that I'm sober and are in recovery it's like this is not this is not what I want anymore. But that's a lot of guilt with that because You know, you should like, you know, you grow up, you grow up, you go to college, you get a job, you move up in that job. That's like what you do and just take a step back and be like, this isn't serving me or the life that I want. It's kind of, can be kind of jarring a little bit.
1: It is. And I definitely took, I took a very like lateral, slightly like downhill step to one of my old jobs. And I really needed to sit in that job for also like about a year and a half to just let my like nervous system decompress, honestly, and just be able to do things outside of work because it was so a job that I I wouldn't take home with me emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I totally like feel that, that step down. It's like something that is so so frowned upon. (laughs) But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And it's also so common. Like, I know that like some people view it as like, oh, not everyone is like, well, not everyone's an alcoholic, but I strongly believe as like a country. A lot of people have some sort of drinking problem just because the way our culture is and so hard running and really packed and, you know, going home and be able to like relax with like wine or a beer or a cocktail and just kind of like doing that like day in, day out. Yeah, I I used to feel bad about like having to step back from my job and then being like, actually, I know a lot of people who that's how they manage. And I'm glad I don't have to do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel I was actually at a writer's retreat earlier this week in Palm Springs, which I would never have thought that I would be. A year ago, if someone told me this, I'd be like, nah, that's not really for me. But I went and I was talking to a bunch of writers there. And, you know, I'm if you've ever been – well, you've, you're a writer. You've been around writers. Like, drinking is a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right drunk, edit sober, as
0: they say. Right? <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I was talking to other writers there. And they're just like, well, asking me about, like, well – because we all went out for drinks. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll totally go. and then. I order something from like the mocktail list and they're like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, do you just not like, do you just didn't want to drink? Have you been drinking? I'm like, I haven't had a drink since we've been here. And they're like, oh, and they're like, I thought you've been drinking the entire time. Cause I guess I w- I had, I would be making like cranberry and seltzer mixes and stuff like that and put it in wine glasses. Cause that's all they had there. And I was like, Nah, I don't, I don't drink anymore. And then we went into this whole big thing about it. And like that, you said, a lot of people do have that. I feel like I'm similar to you in your in the thought process. Like there's, I feel like in our society, alcohol is normalized a, a lot. And then also, I also feel like a lot of people just have coping mechanisms and I think it comes out and a lot of it can come out in alcohol and it can come out in drugs. It can come out in so many things, food, sex, whatever. And, but no one wants to talk about that because That's just what they need to do to maintain and get through the day. So I always found that interesting. And that conversation happened when I was talking to the other writers, like the whole ritual of, you know, coming home and having wine while they're cooking, having wine at dinner, having wine at night before they go to bed. And I think it's awesome that you found a way to not have to feel like you need that in your life. And I think that's really cool. And I feel like that keeps a lot of people, it keeps you more present, I'm sure, but I guess a sidebar, side tangent on that is that you said that you spent a lot of your time your first year organizing and cleaning. So what was it about that that brought you like solace or peace?
1: Oh, I, what it was, you know, my first jobs were always in retail and, or just like working in, like I worked at a gym for a very long time, even while I had like a 40 hour a week post-graduation job. And I actually really loved being able to do a task and see my work completed. Like I just merchandise a section or I just cleaned up a section. The office stuff is always hard for me because it's like, I can see all these things I like checked off down a list, but like I'm not like really seeing the amount of work that I've put in. So it was just like something productive for me to do where I could like see an outcome. I was also, I'm a really big homebody. I do have to, I've accepted that being a homebody is okay the time I have in sobriety, I'm better I, I know when I'm like isolating in a not healthy way, just besides from when I'm just being a homebody. But since I like to be in my house, it just was kind of like the obvious thing to do at the time was like, well, I guess I'll clean if I need something to do that's like not drinking. And I could still like have the T V on in the background. So it just it made a lot of sense. It was just such, such a great way to burn off that energy.
0: Okay. And while you were doing that and organizing and cleaning and everything like that, you mentioned that you were around the three month mark and everything like that, like a lot of your mental like depression and stuff like came back. I'm assuming the cleaning and everything like helped with that. But was the, your depression and everything that kind of was in that similar vein, was that something that you struggled with all your life, but maybe you just weren't aware of it? Until you got sober, and then after that, once you were aware of it, like did the cleaning help with it like what did what other things did you do in order to not let i guess not to slip into depression or if you were slipping into depression, how did you get yourself out of it?
1: Yeah, so actually, yes and no. what happened was after I got sober, my anxiety, my depression went away for a while it came, it came back more around like the year mark, but my anxiety really picked up. And I just had a lot of stuff going on in my childhood that, um, you know, I was just always anxious. I was always very nervous. And, you know, at that time, especially growing up in the early 2000s, I think parents nowadays would be like, yep, I have an anxious child. But then it was like, oh, she's just a little fearful. And I, I guess I had just hidden it down over the years with like when I was in high school. And then like before I could like really legally drink and and get the amount of alcohol that I wanted. It was, you know, through guys and sex and, you know, that sort of thing. And then with drinking, I really was able to like, push down that anxiety because that's why a lot of people like to drink because it takes that the edge and the nerves, the nerves off. When that like all came up, it was like, oh wow, that's like really been there a lot of my life. I just didn't have the language for it. The depression that had kind of always been there. I had had in my life a lot of suicidal thoughts, even like when I was a child, I had had a suicide attempt when I was 15. Mm. When I was in college, I tried to like implicate someone in my suicide. And like, mm. that was like, I mean, yeah, that, that was like pretty messed up. There was also I had dr- that was on my 19th birthday, and I drank a bottle of wine in 10 minutes. So yeah, alcohol really can lead you to some pretty pretty messed up places. And then towards the end of my drinking, you know, I was googling like ways to kill yourself as easily and pain freely as possible. Which plot twist? There's not. Um, so that's just kind of that one had been something that I had like known about throughout that time and you know we can go back to like the depression because like being able to like crack why I was getting depressed was one of sort of my like my prouder like I figured this out moments in sobriety but with anxiety something I realized too was so my upbringing I was um, born in Haiti but um, I was adopted when I was really young and I was adopted by a, a white family and live in I've lived in Maine, New Hampshire and Vermont which are not known for being ethnically diverse in any way shape, or form. So, I mean, I think you know where this is going. I was like, you know, the one, the one black kid in school and it yeah. you know, was always kind of out. And, and I had developed, you know, I didn't realize it, but just like a lot of anxiety. And, you know, at that time when I was getting sober, especially because this was happening in spring, I realized I had like a lot of anxiety and like discomfort about being, you know, a black woman as well. That was like a big part of that and just being like very like out there and seen in Vermont which I live in Burlington and it's technically very it's more diverse than the other areas as a refugee population and even where I'm from in Maine there's a big Somali population but like I'm not Somali I don't look Somali you can tell that like I you know I wasn't part of that population so just always like feeling like, I really stood out and alone and you know if you look at my profile too I'm like very 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 dark I think there's like one shade of darkness above me Um, (laughs) (laughs) just kind of like that like added on top of it you know I'm not that like racially ambiguous like biracial like woman that like you know you'll see everywhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) beautiful people like see everywhere it's kind of like you know the tones that until very recently were, you know, looked down upon. And like, even within the Black community, not that I experienced that in very, very white Vermont, but there was a lot of discomfort around that as well. And I I felt like when I got sober, it was like also when I had to reconcile what it meant to be a Black woman.
0: That's interesting. I mean, can we go into that? Because I find, I find stuff like this fascinating. And I come from, a military background, uh, and my dad moved all over the place. But my parents decided they wanted me and my brother to get really good education, and in their mind, that was me. That meant going to like white schools, and I could see where they were coming from. But because they're, you know, my dad and my mom, they're both raised in the South predominantly. So I understand that whole like being the only one of you in your class, and you know, especially yeah, just understanding that, that struggle and that play in in an area that wasn't that really diverse. But how did you start really reconciling that? Because I find, you know, you were in a, in North I guess that's a considered new. Is it considered New England? I'm not. Yeah, right. yeah, Vermont's New England. Yeah, so you're like in New England. You're adopted. You're very dark, okay. which I love. But, <laughs> <laughs> but so, how did you really start reconciling that with that? Did you have a lot, and did you discover like, oh, like a lot of hurt, a lot of anger? Like, how did you start really breaking and cracking that sh- that nut or that shell? Because that's something that you just you just had since you've been there for most of your life so it wasn't something that you I'm sure came to overnight but what was the process like for you
1: yeah so <laughs> I feel like whenever I tell a story I'm like okay we got to back it up a little because I was like hmm, why did that happen again and oh right so in October the year before the October before I got sober someone a gentleman who was part of the clan mm. left a clan um, flyer on my door and the door of a Hispanic woman in you know, very, very, very white Vermont. So it was clearly, clearly targeted. And um, yeah, so now when you Google my name, it's like mostly my recovery stuff and articles on the temper. But before it was all like, you know, this woman, you know, woman of color, and they've left a, you know, hate mail on her door. And um, it was really hard, because at first they didn't know who it was. He was out, they caught him. There was a lot of these, you know, hearings that were going on. I, was not getting the support that I needed from my family which I had to, you know, kind of do some work around. And I really kind of shouldered that whole situation by myself to the other woman, like really didn't want to come forward, which is like totally her prerogative. But I was having like people call me like at work trying to get interviews and like everyone at work knew, like the director of my program, like pulled me into the office and like gave me a hug. People would like stop me on the street and apologize. But it was just so, it was so much. I was really bottoming out at my drinking at that time. So I think it just kind of took a few months, and then, you know, when sobriety, like, kicked in, like, really kicked in, was like, oh, wow, like, this is a big part of my life, and I wouldn't really say that, like, I dealt with it right away, it was just something I would notice, like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny, I always notice in the spring my, like, black anxiety kicks up, because it's winter, you're all bundled up. Like you got scarf, like all the way up to your eyes. No one can really tell. And then you just go to this time of year where like my skin and body is like very much on display, like everyone else's. So I noticed like, I always have to be a little more like cognizant of getting out of the house and being like, no one's really looking at me or if they are like whatever and doing some work around that. Last year I started seeing a therapist because I really needed to work on a lot of like rage and anger Mm -hmm. this has been a long presidency so I think it just really was starting to like boil up and rage and anger in other areas of my life and I needed someone who could really hold space for that and not kind of fall into something you do see in the recovery world and the spirituality world of like you know you shouldn't be angry about things and Mm -hmm. just anger and I'm very like staunch about that and that you know there are big demographics like women minorities um you know black males who it's like you know they're they've never been allowed anger in their life and it's not saying like yes you get to be angry all the time but like knowing how to like process that anger and feel it and not have someone like poo-poo you and be like no 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 that's not right like you need to like move through this quickly so I started seeing a therapist and um she's amazing she's white there's not really a lot of black therapists around here but she just so gets it and she so holds space and she'll say like I cannot understand what you're going through, but, like, I'm here for you. And that was really important to know, like, how to deal with that rage when it came up and to also be like, you know what, like, I can feel rage about this. Like, I can be angry when I turn on the news and see that, like, you know, the third um, Black person in this month has gotten shot for something that you shouldn't be shot for. And to not feel like, oh, I shouldn't feel like angry about that. I should go like meditate on it and just getting to like learn how those less savory emotions, like how long they tend to last in my life. So it definitely wasn't something I learned my first year of recovery, but the idea started to like peek in then.
0: Yeah. I have a white therapist too, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I totally get it.
0: Like she really does have to hold space. She's actually the one that pushed me like you need you are angry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> feel this.
0: To feel this shit.
1: Like, no, it- "I'm fine. I'm fine." <laughs> It's true. When I got in there, my phrase was like irritated. And also just coming from like a New England family, we don't share our emotions. And like, that was like sort of the phrase my mom used was irritated. And my therapist would be like, I think we need to dig a little into like what you really mean by like irritated. And, (laughs) but yeah, sometime I would love to write a piece on it because I think like why anger gets like put down is because a lot of times anger is like tied into violence. Yeah, but. You can be angry and not be violent, so I think that's that's why people get very scared about being angry, and maybe they even had very violent past. But like, it's just like a human, it's just a human emotion. You have to know how to play with it, or else life is going to feel like extremely wobbly.
0: Yes, and you're just going to bury it down, and then it's going to come out in other ways. So it's it doesn't you can't escape it. So it's sort of just, but like you said, it's just learning how to be able to harness it in a way that is productive instead of like so destructive because I feel like a lot of people think of anger as a very destructive emotion. But I also think it's like that because not a lot of people know how to really handle their anger and just be okay with it. So I'm totally with you right there. So that's yes. cool. All right. So your book. Yes. <laughs> Recovering the Home. So what was the inspiration for that? And was that something that you came to you relatively quickly? Is it something you've you maybe knew for a while, but you were like, okay, I can't really delve into that right now. So what was your process and thought patterns around that?
1: Yeah. So the first few years of recovery, i felt like I did not have a passion I did not feel like I had direction you know it was just it was really hard and then over time I started being like okay Jocelyn like you really you know you need to be a writer like I would I'm naturally good at writing but then I also felt like I needed to like struggle and do something like with more I don't know just not being an artist. I think a lot of people can understand that. Um, So much so that I even tried to like do accounting online school while also like working. So I really had to like own that I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to write. And I was on a trip this February in Florida and I had you know, all that like free time and I wasn't thinking about work and I was walking around St. Petersburg. And the idea, like those universal whispers I get was like, recovering the home just sort of like whispered in and I was like, Oh, That's like a really nice idea Um, because at that time I had um, spent a few years really like getting into like cleaning and organizing and and finding that order in my life. I also just recently realized that, um, you know, I'm a Pisces sun, but I have Virgo in my chart and apparently Virgos are very like organized and like straightforward and like systems. And I'm like, okay, that's where I get that from. (laughs) But I realized I could like bring together my passion for writing and also my passion for decluttering and, and speak to sober women because the first decluttering I like ever did was like Marie Kondo, like I'm going to be such a hipster, but like I was doing it like years ago <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I re- and I really loved her like process and obviously like mine is very different, but I, I found so much I found out so much about myself doing that and about my habits and I thought since I especially since I did it in early recovery like how awesome would it be to like write that for women who are also in recovery because we go through like these really big changes and a lot of things in our life change like when we're drinking like even in our homes and we don't talk about that. I was getting on my soapbox again. I think it's something that's like not really talked about because it's very, um, you know, to be gendered, it's kind of like a woman's domain. A lot of recovery is written from a very like male viewpoint. So I was like, okay, like I would love to write something different. So that idea came to me end of February. And then I was able to, like through weird ways, meet a, a writing coach that wanted to work with me. And I was really nervous because because I think we know how sometimes predatory like the coaching industry could be. And I was like, oh, this person just wants to make a buck off of me. But we did a discovery call, and you know, she went to the Iowa workshop. So already I'm like, okay, this woman knows what she's doing for non-writers. It's like the Harvard of writing schools. <laughs> and I loved her energy, and we started working on it in April. And then I released it um, this past October. Awesome. And
0: I think that with this book also – it dives into just like the recovery of the home. But so much of your people forget like so much of your recovery happens here. And like, you just have to reframe it for you as like, you know, a place of peace. Because I think especially, I can only speak for myself, but what I really drew me to this idea and in your book was because it was like recovering your home, changing the cluttering, the organization, all that type of stuff. But it's also like, you know, making your place like somewhere like, like a place of peace. And for me, like I drank a lot in public, but I drank so much at home. Oh yeah. And that was like my, like, you know, my favorite time I would always tell people was like, "Was Friday night? Like I had, because I was off work, I knew exactly how long it would take me to get home. And then I would just sit there with my favorite show and like bottles of wine or whatever I was drinking and just have like, and I would just unwind But just not that night usually was the whole weekend until like, you know, Monday. But and then picking it up in a different way during the week when you when I got sober, it's like really becoming comfortable with my home serving a different purpose for me. And that I feel like is something like you said, like people don't talk about because a lot of what I've read in like addiction books and things like that, it is about it is very much from a a male perspective, particularly a white male perspective, but um, not all I know. So it was like, I didn't, I understood the story, but I couldn't really necessarily relate to that. And I think that your book is really needed in this space, um, especially for, a, like, for me, just, I, I will say, it's just I'm a, a black woman, a person of color, so I love it. So I think it's really great that you came up with this idea and you made it. Um, do you have, is this, like, going to be a series for you? Or are you thinking about expanding to other aspects of of recovery of the home or are you gonna like what's your I know this just came out so I'm not rushing
1: (laughs) (laughs) well funny you should say that so yes well let me talk about the thing that's immediately out right now so this past October I had surgery and I had a few weeks off and you know a writer left with a lot of open space they need to write. So I wrote a guide called, and this one's free, um, it's called Recovering the Holidays. And I use my like same four step process that I use in Recovering the Homes to get people to start to see how they can create a holiday that fits with them, which is, you know, really what Recovering the Home is about. You know, we had these lives we thought that we wanted or wanted to show off and like, but what do you actually really, really want? So that's Going to be out on the 22nd, I think, 23rd, and I'll have that out until the um, 15th of December. And but for like a larger scale one, more like Recovering the Home, once the title Recovering the Home came to be, immediately the title Recovering the Wallet, because it is so hard to talk about possessions without talking about money. I mean, you need money to get possessions, and the two are so rooted together. And also for myself, when I got sober, you know, a lot of times will will replace our drinking with something else. Maybe not to the extreme, um, but I replaced mine with shopping. Mm-hmm. And this year, I actually finally paid off like nearly six thousand dollars in credit card debt. Like I wow. went hard on it. Um, so I really wanted to be able to write a piece about like, okay, now that you're, you know, we're sober and we have a lot more money because we're not spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on alcohol. But like, you know, how can we like you know, how can we honor that money? How can we look at our, you know, shopping habits? And I totally, I want to do this more essay style. I don't want to do it, you know, like these are the steps you need to take because that is just so personal. And depending on like what type of other support you might be getting or like how much you're making, or do you live in a city or more rural area is really going to factor into like how you spend your money. I really want to come at this at like a gentle place and not like, okay, now that your money's in order, like you're going to make six figures and you're going to do this. And it's just like, hey, you got your money in order and you make $40,000. And like, maybe you still make $40,000, but like you feel more comfortable in how you spend your money. So I'm really excited to write that. I think I'm just kind of waiting for the moment where where it's time to sit down. But to be honest, as of break like, right now, like it was a grind, you know, doing my book and then, you know, putting it out, building the website, having surgery, doing this other one. I'm really excited to like slow down and work in like other writing areas, more short story, and then come back to it when I've had like a few months to decompress from my four-step process. <laughs> totally
0: makes sense. And I would definitely be on board to read your Recovering the Wallet book because that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> your addiction does kind of go off into other areas and mine was shopping for a bit as well I recently pulled back on it just hearing other perspectives or someone that I can relate to would be amazing to hear or read about in this space. I do have another question for you.
1: Of course, um, of course.
0: How do you feel about when it comes to the addiction space mm-hmm. and how do you feel about the representation of people of color in it?
1: Uh- <laughs> let's see. How do I feel? Hmm. You know, I wish there was more and I could say that about like everything. I just wish there was more representation. Um, I think what I try to do is like definitely amplify those voices and make sure that they are known, especially if they're doing like okay, I will never, like, my Instagram account is mostly writing captions, captions that I'm very proud of, captions that speak from my soul, but, like, when I know that there's someone out there who's, like, putting on events, like, Shari from, like, Served Up Sober, who's, like, going in hard, like, I want people who are, like, high up in the recovery community to know about that and be able to, like, put that out there, so there's, I I do feel that responsibility, and if I know someone, like, being able to um, voice that, because, I mean, there are so many, like, You know, 98% of my friends are white and they're same in like the recovery community and they have like such great stuff to share. But just as things go, like they're naturally going to get, you know, that representation and they're going to get like the higher following. So, you know, I just kind of like do the best I can to plug away and, you know, to also not shy away from talking about issues that like black women face in recovery, because it's going to be different, not a lot different, but there are going to be certain things we obviously need to be able to, to grapple with. So I'm, I'm hoping that that space starts to grow more.
0: And do you feel like you've been really open and like received fairly well in the space? And- yeah, I guess I'll start there.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I've been, you know, I've been doing this for a few years, again, like, pretty much right from where I started, and, like, I mean, I'm I, yes, of course, sometimes I see, like, people's, like, follower numbers, and I, I get that, like, tinge, like, I'm not going to pretend that I don't, but for, like, the most part, like, I'm not trying to, like, be this, like, really large-scale, like, sober influencer, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get, like, sponsorship deals, even, like, with my book, I know some people are, like, I want to get a book deal, and it's, like, hey, like, if you want some, if you want to write something, just, like, write something and put it out, like, you don't have to wait for someone to come along and, like, give you that advance, I mean, one day I would love to be published in some realm, so I think I've been received well in this space, yes, but it's, like, I'm also just trying to, like, I'm just trying to be me, and, and share share about. That's
0: cool. That makes sense. I have to say like you were the first people that I followed when I decided to go down my sober journey. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you're in the space. <laughs> Outside of that, you have your book recovering the home, recovering and then your your, I guess, how would you classify your Recovering the Holidays?
1: Oh, I call that like a mini guide. <laughs> okay. Your so mini guide, t-
0: Recovering the Holidays, and you have an idea for another book, eventually down the line, Recovering the Wallet. And now you said that you also do like a lot of um, work around like personal essays and things like that. Do you have anything upcoming there
1: that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, so... um See, like I I write for The Temper. Um, I have a few articles, you know, a big one was sort of like the ultimate guide to like for black women in recovery, which I was really proud of. So you can find some of my other writings there. I'm a contributor, kind of, I don't have like a set schedule, but that's where some of my work is. And then some of the other stuff I'm working on is... You know, I think when I really want to, like, do something long form now about recovery, I'll be leaning a little more on my, my newsletter, which is in my link tree in my Instagram account. Um, I really feel constrained a lot by the character limits on Instagram, especially... Mm-hmm. so the topics I really want to get into. So I'd probably be doing it there. But I, I think being so public and open these past few years, which I've loved and don't regret one minute, I really want to be able to do some things like just for myself, do some like real bad, real bad short stories that I like polish up into like, kind of okay short stories. So that's where like a lot of my attention is going to be, I think, this winter.
0: And uh, I'm curious because I'm i starting to dabble a little bit in short stories too, but like what is your, do you have a particular theme you like to explore? It doesn't have to be like recovery related. I'm just, me personally, I'm just curious. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. yeah I, I've been like reading short stories lately to try to like figure out what it is. And I think I'm going to be like the David Sedaris type and just, you know, focusing on like family and those dynamics. I find that really interesting. This is, I can't believe, this is, like, the one thing on my laptop that I'm, like, if I die, like, unexpectedly, please delete this. I love, just for fun, writing, like, really bad erotica, and oh. I don't know if I've ever tried to write erotica before, but, like, it's really easy to get into the backstory and, like, not actually write about sex, so every, like, few weeks, I'll pick up this piece that's just so bad, and it's, like, it all, like, factors around, like, short erotic stories about this, like, bed and breakfast that's, like, oh. set in fictionalized town where i went to high school there's like i mean at this point it's essentially like pg rated um but just kind of like playing around with that and like having fun with my writing um and obviously being vulnerable with my writing but just having just going all out that's cool i love it awesome and that's under like a fake name though
0: of course of course
1: (laughs) like jackie jackie hardy or something yes
0: I know I'm a. I love a a good um, alias. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Well, good luck there. Okay, <laughs> continue to explore it. <laughs> well, thank you for so much for being on there. I know I said that at the beginning, and thank you for being so open and honest about your your background and your story. I think it will really re- resonate with the audience here. And like I said, I I find. It, I mean, this is very inspiring for me, just for someone who's relatively new to recovery and sobriety, and just to see someone that looks like me out there is, um, it makes you feel a little less alone. And as you work through everything,
1: oh, so true. And I, I, I don't know what it's like. I don't want to make assumptions about like Brooklyn, but like whenever I see like a black person at an AA meeting in Burlington, or which is like once a year, maybe it's like a beeline toward them.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Um it's so funny cuz re- cuz Brooklyn is, you know, is quite diverse and there's a, which is cool but within the world of AA it depends on where you go and what types of places faces you will see because you know as diverse as Brooklyn can be it can be kind of segregated too so a lot of the rooms and things that I go to are I guess you would say the predominantly blacker parts of Brooklyn just because I think that that's something that I need personally as I'm going through it I like a mix I like the mix too but a lot of those people there are older, so it's. I find it refreshing just to meet people that are around my age or younger that are working it out, because I think about myself at your age, and I'm like,
1: shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I don't know.
1: And I still feel so old. I'm like, oh, I got sober at like, you know, 20, 25, and you know, because every night we'll have some people trickling in like from college. But I mean, if you ever make it up to Canada, that's wild because their drinking age is, I think it's 18 or 19, depending on the province. So you'll get like 15 year olds from time to time. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so great.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And have a lovely rest of your day.
1: Yeah. And you too. Have a good one. All right. Bye.